Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart in the hearts of his officials, so that I may do these miraculous signs of mine among them, and so that you may tell your son and grandson how severely I dealt with the Egyptians and performed miraculous signs among them, and you will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and told him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let my people go, then tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They will cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will eat the remainder left to you that escaped the hail. They will eat every tree you have growing in the fields. They will fill your houses, all your officials' houses, and the houses of all the Egyptians, something your fathers and grandfathers never saw since the time they occupied the land until today. Then he turned and left Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh's officials asked him, How long must this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is devastated? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, Pharaoh said, but exactly who will be going? Moses replied, we will go with our young and with our old. We will go with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds, because we must hold the Lord's festival. He said to them, the Lord would have to be with you if I would ever let you and your families go. Look out, you're heading for trouble. No, go, just able-bodied men, worship the Lord, since that's what you want. And they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. The Lord then said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, and the locusts will come up over it and eat every plant in the land, everything that the hail left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord sent an east wind over the land all that day and through the night. By morning, the east wind had brought in the locusts. The locusts went up over the entire land of Egypt and settled on the whole territory of Egypt. Never before had there been such a large number of locusts, and there never will be again. They covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was black, and they consumed all the plants on the ground and all the fruit on the trees that the hail had left. Nothing green was left on the trees or the plants in the field throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh urgently sent for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Please forgive my sin once more and make an appeal to the Lord your God so that he will just take this death away from me. Moses left Pharaoh's presence and appealed to the Lord. Then the Lord changed the wind to a strong west wind and it carried off the locusts and blew them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the Israelites go.
God, I pray that you, uh, there's the power. All right, see what happens when you pray? That you just stir my affections for Jesus. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about battling sinful thoughts. I know I'm probably the only one in here that has problems with a thought life, but just in theory, just in case you ever did, I'm going to talk to you about that this morning. So interesting thing that in, in neuroscience have something called neuroplasticity. That's where they have studied for years and years how the brain has got the ability to change itself. So if you like got new disciplines or something like that where you're memorizing things or whatever, your brain could actually rewire the way that you think. I know that that may be like a, a just, you know, as far as the Bible's concerned, that would be extraordinary. I'm being facetious right now because we talk about Bible study changing who we are. Think about this. So now in the last 10 years or so, they've got a new discipline called neural theology, where they've been studying how religion can actually change a person's brain. Now, now this isn't Christian scientists, by the way. This is all kinds of scientists, you know, all the way atheists, agnostic, whatever. I mean, they're just looking at how religion changes a person's brain. And one of the interesting things that they've studied is how they studied how that prayer changes the makeup of a person's brain. Not only that, but they've also studied and seen how that it also changes the, the physical makeup of a person when they pray 12 to 15 minutes every day. Every day. 12 to 15 minutes. What they, what they notice is that they can measure that a person's Everything would change within them, that their blood pressure would regulate. People with high blood pressure, it would regulate for them. People that had cholesterol problems, cortisol would drop down. Everything would happen where their cholesterol would even start to regulate. All areas, and the people who had anxiety, 12 to 15 minutes a day of prayer pretty much would just wipe all anxiety out. Now this is, like I said, this is, these are people that don't even believe in God that are measuring this. So I mean, as I look at that, I think, wow, that's really interesting how that, and another thing they noticed too is that they did blind studies on people that work in, in corporate America that were praying 12 to 15 minutes a day, and then some of them weren't praying, and the ones that were praying 12 to 15 minutes a day, get this, they built up natural antibodies to where like all the rest of the people they were working with were getting the flu, and they didn't get the flu. Some of y'all looking at me like you don't believe me. Go look it up for yourself. Neural theology. Just Google it and look at it for yourself. And you say, no, now listen, I know everybody has got an agenda. I know what my agenda is. My agenda is a, I'm, my, here's this. If you don't know, my agenda is this. I am trying to get you to pray and read your Bible more. Let's go ahead and lay that out right before you right now. That is my agenda. Everything that I talk to you about, that's what I want you. Because I know that that works. I know from experience, not just my experience, but everybody that I know that reads their Bible and prays regularly, that it transforms their life. And listen, there is a serious aggravation in my heart about the religion that I have been, you know, Christianity that I've been exposed to growing up that was all about behavior modification. So I mean, like, you may, you may have caught on to that too, that I'm a little aggravated about that. Because I'm, listen, that behavior modification, what that does is that leads to self-condemnation. And at least of me not ever being good enough. But when we're talking about heart transformation, now it's not about my good works. It's about the good work that Christ has done for me and me joining him in what he's already doing. So thinking about viruses and your thoughts, something very interesting. So in your bloodstream, you've got red blood cells, you've got white blood cells. Hopefully you have some white blood cells. Anyway, these white blood cells, they are antigens. And what a white blood cell does is it, it's always searching for something that's foreign in your bloodstream, like you probably have seen that in the last few years a few times. That is the 
coronavirus. It's always, they're always looking for a virus, and what these antigens are going to do is when they, when they see a virus, they attack it and they destroy it. They just totally just overwhelm that virus and they destroy it. But here's the interesting thing about a virus. Go look this up too. Just look, go Google, what is a virus? Scientists that study viruses, here's the thing about a virus, they don't even really know what it is. It is not a living entity. They say it's on the edge of life, but it's not really life. It's got to have something, it's got to have foreign chromosomes before it can even, even exist. They take these foreign chromosomes and then they try to burrow into your cells. So they're not even really real. A virus is not even really real. That's good English right there, I know. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing. A virus is a lot like a thought, even a lot like a demon. A demon's not really real either. It's got to have, have a host before it can do anything. And your thoughts are the same way. They're, I mean, like, your thoughts, when we talk about evil, wicked thoughts, or sinful thoughts, or bad thoughts, or whatever it may be, they need something, a host. They need you to make it your reality. And so what we're talking about this morning is really your conscience. Your conscience, I mean, it is an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. See, because there's some things that other people are doing right now in your life and you think that's wrong. And they think it's right. What's the difference between the two? The difference is the conscious right here. Now, you think, you say, see, here's the thing. When I first started saying this, I was thinking, okay, so I understand conscience to be the same thing as your mind. It's not. Even according to the Bible, it's not the same thing. The mind is, this is from the Bible. This is a, I'll show you a verse in just a moment, but this is the Bible, the biblical explanation of what the mind is. It's your intellect, your understanding, as faculty of thinking. So there's a difference between conscious and mind. Let me show you the Bible verse that separates out the two. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, in both their mind, two different Greek words, in their mind and in their conscience, they are defiled. Nuos and sunindudos. So two different Greek words right here. And both of them, I just gave you the definition for them. Let me show you this. Think of Greek words. So here's what Paul says. He says, my opinion, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, and this is what he said. He said, I strive, askeo, the Greek word, to have a clear conscience towards God, towards me. So, he, so what he's saying is right here, the Greek word askeo, it means to learn by repetition and strenuous effort. That sounds like working out to me. That you got to be consistent, and there's got to be some strain in that before it does you any good. So what he's saying is that the only way that I'm able to maintain a clear conscience between everybody else and between God, it takes some pain and some strain in my life. So here's what I'm telling you. You won't just naturally flow into this. You're gonna, I mean, you can't just sit up here and say, man, I just don't have to do anything, and I'm going to have a clear conscience towards God and everybody else. Your sin nature will not allow that. Your conscience, I mean, it is going to be filled naturally with all kinds of irritation, busyness, bitterness, unforgiveness, exhaustion, self-condemnation, worry, stress, all because of your sin nature. I mean, like with, in and of ourselves, our conscience will drive us nuts. So how do I know when our spiritual immune system is compromised? Man, I may feel far from the Lord. I may struggle with prayer, Bible intake, and fellowship. Anybody this morning, listen, listen to what we're talking about. No peace, no joy, no hope, no contentment. These are all... It's showing me that my spiritual immune system is compromised. Speaking negatively, accusing, judging, complaining, gossiping, struggling with fear, 
anxiety, anger, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, hatred, resentment, shame, guilt, condemnation, depression, seeking comfort in fleshly things, unhealthy coping mechanisms, over or under eating, overspending, avoidance, withdrawal, addictions, distractions, sexual sin, adultery, wrong relationships, self-absorption, all these things right here, they are showing that these are all signs that my spiritual immune system has been compromised. Now, let me ask you something. So if you go and you study your immune system, what do they tell you to do? Eat right, exercise, and get plenty of rest. Lower your stress levels, and all this will happen there is your, your physical immune system is going to be rising up, becoming more and more strong. So the same principle is true for your spiritual immune system. Reading your Bible, prayer, fellowshipping with other believers is going to boost your spiritual immune system. Now, hey, listen, let me tell you something. If you think that fellowship is just you coming in here and sitting around a bunch of people and never talking to anybody, that's not fellowship. To really fellowship, you've got to force yourself out to be around people that you naturally would not be around. Now, that may sound strange to you, but that's really what fellowship is. The church is an interesting thing that we're in. You're part of something that we're like, you wouldn't naturally go hang out with some of the people you're sitting in this room with right now. But what church does is it forces you as a believer in Christ to come fellowship with other people that you don't know that you maybe not even really don't like that much either. But see, listen, here's what I can tell you. If all you do is what you like, then you will never grow spiritually because your flesh ain't going to like Bible study, ain't going to like prayer, ain't going to like fellowship. There is a hundred reasons why you shouldn't do any of those according to your flesh. And I can give you, according to the Bible, a whole bunch of reasons why you've got to force yourself into uncomfortable situations to build spiritual strength and grit. As a matter of fact, God will make sure that you do that. You either do that willingly, your own choice, or God lovingly is going to lead you in that unwillingly to go do that. If that makes sense. Is there any parents in the house this morning? <laughs> so let's start off with the first one there on your outline this morning. You must, here's the bad news and the good news. You must live at spiritual war. Man, you got to live, you got to have your armor all the time. You got to live at spiritual war with your, the world, the flesh, and the devil every single day before your conscience can live at peace, before you can ever live at, be at peace with God and be at peace with other people. You have got to be engaged in the war, and that war is around you all the time. Man, your flesh is there all the time, 24-7. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For although we live in the flesh, our sin nature is the thing that messes up our conscience. We do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I mean, you can't see it. It's not physical, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that raise, that's raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Amen. Anybody in the church this morning? So, we're talking about Pharaoh this morning. Just got through reading off 20 verses there. We got another plague here. It's the plague of the locusts. And we talk about Pharaoh, man, Pharaoh's heart is messed up. Matter of fact, if we look, we've learned he's got a prideful heart. He's got a self-exalting heart. He's got a power-hungry heart, selfish, greedy, idolatrous, all those things that in and of ourselves, we all will struggle with. That's a part of our sin nature. It's not just Pharaoh. It's all of us that are in the flesh. Let's look at the text this morning once again. Then, every time you see this capitalized, that's God's personal name. It's Yahweh. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Okay, now that might mess you up a little bit. Let me just, let me just talk about this for a moment. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That is a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. God is in control of everybody and everything. He's 100% sovereign, and you've got a free will. He's 100% sovereign, and you will be held responsible for your choices. That's the tension between God's sovereignty and your free will. If you look at this, he hardened his heart. Now, why? So we got to say, why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? So he hardened his heart and the, and the hearts of his officials. And here's why. So that I may do these miraculous signs of mine among them. So what he's saying is that I purposely did this so he's not letting my children go so I cannot do one plague, but I can do ten. I'm doing the ten to show my power. So the reason he's hardening Pharaoh's heart is so that he can demonstrate his glory and his power. And then it goes on, he says, and so that you may tell your sons and grandsons whose responsibility is it to disciple children? Is it the parents or is it the church? Primarily, it is the parents, right? I mean, the church, we, we, we come along beside you as parents, and right now, there's discipleship taking place there and, and here on Wednesday night as well, and down there at the student center on Wednesday night. I mean, like, we come along beside you, but primarily, you as a parent, you are the primary ones to be discipling your children. Brother, what? I mean, listen, you may be thinking, man, I'm not doing a very good job at doing that. Hey, listen, or you may be saying, I don't do that at all. You, you are too. Just, I mean, you are there, you are there, you're, if you're the mom or you're the dad, they are picking up the cues from you over how to relate to God, whether or not you're trying to or you're not, okay? So, he's what, what he's saying right here is that the reason I'm doing this is so that whenever it's all said and done, you're going to be telling your children how I did this, my sovereignty, my power, my glory, how severely I dealt with the Egyptians and performed miraculous signs among them, and then you will know that I am Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and told him, hey man, this is what? Yahweh, the Elohim. This is our God, the real God. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, what's your problem, man? How long are you going to keep doing this? I mean, they just had the most ferocious hailstorm in world history that just wiped everything out. They've had plague after plague after plague. And they said, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Because that's really what it is. The opposite of a hard heart, I mean, the opposite of a humble heart is a hard heart. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may worship me. Here's what I can tell you right now. You struggle with a hard heart. Every single one of us in here do. We all struggle. Our heart is naturally, by our sin nature, going to harden against God. And then that's when we talk about this discipline of every single day praying 15 to, you know, 20, 12 to 15 minutes. I almost said 20. 12 to 15 minutes a day reading your Bible. Because what that does is that's going to be sending in, sending in those, those, those antivirus things into your conscience. They'll be fighting against all of these hardening agents for your heart. Number two on your outline. I know you've been waiting on that one right there. I see y'all. Here it is. You need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is like turning on a light in your conscience. You need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to recognize sinful thoughts in your conscience. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. 
See if there's any offensive way in me to leave me. So, so what, what David's saying here in Psalms is like, I don't have the ability to recognize the sinful tendencies that I have within myself. Because I think that I'm okay. Until the Holy Spirit shines his light into my conscience, I realize that's not okay. What's going on inside of me and in my heart and my it's not okay according to God's standard and God's word. Now listen, you compare yourself to everybody else around you, you're doing good. You can always find some other people around you, look at them, compare yourself to them, and feel a whole lot better about yourself. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible doesn't say go compare yourself to everybody else around you and just see how you're doing. Compare yourself. The Bible, the Bible, listen, the standard is his holy word. The standard is Jesus. The good news is this. He is a standard, and he holds a standard, and it's not about your performance. And we'll get a little more deeper into that, just like we always do, because that is the gospel. Did you come to hear, do you want to hear the gospel today? Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. He did it for you, so you don't have to do it. His righteousness over you, not your righteousness. You're saved by grace through faith. Mm. That's worth coming to church right there, man. Come on. But Moses says, oh, hard-hearted Pharaoh, but if you refuse to let my people go, then tomorrow, here's your time. And you got, some, you got a chance. You got a little grace. You got a little mercy. Tomorrow, you got a moment. Get it right. Tomorrow, I will bring the locusts onto your turn. Now, listen, I have never been a part of a locust plague before. I've seen it on TV. I've read stories about it. From what I can see and what I have read, it is horrendous. I mean, like the, like the, what the stories I've read, they say it's like a storm, a cloud, a dark black cloud just coming, that they think it's a storm at first, and then when it gets to them, it's just overrun by everything is covered, that they eat every little green thing in their path. They'll just totally wipe it out. I want to bring locusts on your territory. Now, let me ask you something. How's that territory looking right now? It just got messed up by some hell. There's not much left there. They will cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. It's pretty bad. They will eat the remainder left to you that escaped the hell. They will eat every tree you have growing in the fields. Have you ever been anywhere where there's, where there's not any trees? You ever been there before? Like out in the desert or something like that? Man, you don't realize, we don't realize what we got until you don't have it anymore. Trees are a good thing. It's like, man, these trees are all going to be wiped out. Then they will fill your houses because back then, open windows and stuff like that, they're going to fill your houses, all your officials' houses, and the houses of all the Egyptians. Something your fathers and grandfathers never saw since the time they occupied the land until today, thousands of years. Then they turned and they left Pharaoh's presence. Number three. Man, we must heed the scriptural warnings to keep a clear conscience before God. I mean, you know, like, in reading, the, so, so like, look at this right here. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the goal of our instruction, Paul writing Timothy, is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal is a good conscience and a sincere faith. So listen, if I'm not observing and heeding the scriptural warnings, then here's what's going to happen. My heart is going to get hard, and my conscience is going to get filled with all that negative stuff. It's just inevitable. It is what is going to happen to me. So like, the warnings in the scriptures, that is for our good. Man, listen, once again, is there any parents in here with me right now? 
How, I mean, like you start off with the little children out there and you're warning them, you know, like at the first, you're trying to keep them away from sticking stuff in the light sockets or burning their hand on the stove, eating the poison, whatever it may be. Why are you, war- are you trying to keep them having fun? Why are you warning them of the dangers? Listen, the, the scriptures, the warnings that we have in the Bible, it is not to keep you from having fun. It is to protect you, to protect your soul. See, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. Just as nice as I possibly can, and I can't do this very nicely. If you're here this morning, and listen, and you are struggling with negative thoughts, suicidal thoughts, just overwhelming stress, overwhelming anxiety, all of those things, here's what I can tell you. None of that comes from God. None of that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you're thinking right now you need to kill somebody, that's not coming from the Holy Spirit. God's not telling you to do that. Okay, so I just want to make that real crystal clear right now that that's th- those are the top things that you struggle with. That does not come from God. That comes from the other side. So we're talking about living under God's kingdom authority rule. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's get back to our story. Pharaoh's officials, man, they asked him, wait, did we just see that question? It says, look at this. They now, his officials, are using the word of God because Moses, he's speaking on behalf of God. This is God's warning, God's word coming to him. Now the unbelieving officials of Pharaoh, they're starting now to use the word of God against Pharaoh. Why are they doing that? Because they're looking out there across the land. Their land just got devastated by hailstones, their homes, everything, their herds. And now he comes back with another warning and says, if you don't let them go, now the locust's going to take everything else. None of them, listen, these dudes right here, they're stepping back and they're like, after about five or six of these, I'm starting to catch on. This dude's right. He's 100% every time. So what makes us think this time it ain't going to happen? So how long? Must this man be a snare to us? Now notice, they're not, they don't have enough grit in them to point out the one that's wrong is Pharaoh. They, they, they accuse Moses. Let the men go so they may worship the Lord their God, not our God. Don't you realize yet that he's just been devastated? and he can't, he, he can't realize it yet because his heart's messed up. Listen, number four here. You need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to recognize the danger of sinful thoughts in your conscience. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 12, you can read that verse if you want to. talks about how our conscience can be seared. Catarized right here actually is a Greek word. Totally just seared off to where it's not even affecting us anymore. So years ago, there was a woman that, she came to me, she was talking to me, and her, her, um, she'd been through some hard times. Her husband had had an affair on her. She was really mad at the, the other woman. And so she, she was listening to Christian music until this happened, and then she started listening to country music or rock music, what, whatever fed her anger and her hurt. And she's like, man, it just makes me feel so good when I listen to that music, because that music, I relate to that. Okay, now listen. It wasn't making her better, it was making her bitter. And it was, it was what it was doing is it was feeding her flesh and her anger and making her feel justified in her anger. That's what made her feel good, her flesh did, and it was destroying her in the process. Now listen, I've had, I can name off multiple other people that went through the same thing that she did, instead of turning to the world to, to comfort their flesh, they turned to God with the Christian music, reading the Bible, going to church, whatever it may be, and they turned to God, and they got healing and help from that. So I mean, listen, here's what you have to understand, is that you may think that, oh man, this stuff right here, I relate to this, it makes me feel better. It doesn't make your soul and your conscience better. Now, this is what I'm telling you right now. Listen, if you're sitting here and your conscience is pristine and you're, you're, you're exposing yourself to all of that, then, man, I, you know, I, I don't know. You are the, the, you know, a wonder of the world, I guess. I don't know how that works out. 
come talk to me about it. I'd love to hear it. Because here's what I can tell you. All the rest of us around you, we struggle. Our thought life, man, listen, you can't get away from your thought life. You can get away from other people and other things, but you can't get, you can't get out of your own head. We're stuck there 24-7. And the Word of God is trying to help us navigate these things, okay? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Man, go worship the Lord your God, Pharaoh said, but. And there's another one of those big buts in the Bible. There's always got to be that little fine print. Don't know about you, man. Listen, I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical of all those advertisers of those people that are making $10 million a day. And they say, all you got to do, listen, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you my secret, but I don't have enough time right now to tell you my secret. Click the link below, and y'all go, I'll take the time. Now, you click the link below, why does he need my credit card information if he's making $10 million a day? Why does he need my money if he's making $10 million a day? That's my question, okay? A little bit skeptical on that right there. So as I look at that, I'm thinking about this right here. There's always a fine print. If it's too good to be true in this world, it's too good to be true, right? We've all learned that. Listen, as far as the world's concerned, but exactly who's going to be going? See, listen, here's what the compromise is. The compromise is always get you compromised on the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, then the devil's always going to try to get you to compromise on that. When you go back to the very original sin, the serpent approached Eve and he said, hey, man, what you doing hanging out here in this garden? What y'all doing? What about that tree over there? And she says, oh, yeah, you know, that tree over there, God said that we can't go over there and we can't eat from it and we can't touch it. God didn't say anything about touching it. She added the word of God right there. And he says, oh, listen, you won't die if you eat that. God knows if you eat that that you'll be better off. You'll be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. You will be better. You deserve this. That's always the deal. The devil always holds out. The temptation says, you deserve this, and you will be better off for this. Latches right into our sinful self-entitlement and our sin nature, and you will be better off here. But who exactly? Let's just get technical. Exactly who be going? Moses replied, man, we all going. That's my East Texas translation. We all going. We're going to go with our young, our old. We're going to go with our sons, our daughters, all our flocks, all our herds, because we must hold a fast. We're going to worship because that's the whole thing. God says, let them go so they can worship me. He's like, listen, we can't worship if only part of us goes. We can't worship if only part of our stuff goes. We all go and all our stuff goes because it's all God's and we are stewards of it all. And listen, don't compromise your position number five under your kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Listen, if we're battling sinful thoughts right here, then this right here is got to understand something. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And then right here we've got, we are raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Listen, the devil's trying to get you to compromise on his word. And he's trying to get you to compromise on your position. Make you think you're less than what you really are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm just a rotten sinner saved by grace. Okay, no, no, no. I'm a son of God. I'm a born-again believer. The Bible says I'm in Christ. I'm a saint. I'm a son of God. I'm redeemed. I'm born again. Yes, I mean, I, I, listen, I mean, I, that's what the Bible says about us in Christ Jesus. So don't get into what, what the world, even what religion and false religion of this world you live in, don't fall for that. The devil's always trying to get you to condemn 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you saved? Are you born again? That's who you are. It's not according to your performance. It's according to your position. So he said to them, oh, yeah, the Lord would have to be with you if I'd ever let you and your families go. But you better be warned. This is Pharaoh. You better look out, dude, because you're headed for trouble. He's just taking a beating. Pharaoh is taking a, he is beat down and taking a beating, and he's all bowed up and said, you headed for trouble? God's coming in there and warning him. He's trying to flip the warning. Why is he doing that? Because he is trying to intimidate and bully and trying to make Moses afraid. Now listen, Moses done got all that stuff scared out of him at the burning bush. Every single bit of that got scared out there. There's no more. You got nothing left in him to scare out of him. I mean, that was enough right there to be like, oh, wow. I mean, like that changed everything for Moses. And listen, some of you right now, as you're listening to this, there was a point in your life where it all changed. You went from being filled with fear to being filled with faith. To where now you don't fear what man thinks or what man says. What, what you fear is you fear almighty God. That leads us to our number six. We either have a worldly, fearful conscience or a kingdom peace-filled conscience. All you community group leaders, it's going to be a little different than what you got last night, okay? Lord changed that between then and there. I know that most of y'all aren't having community groups today, so I just felt free to change it, okay? So it changed. So, religious ruler during the days of Jesus, he has a daughter that's sick and she's dying, so he goes to find Jesus. When he finds Jesus, Jesus is pressed around with a huge crowd, the, the lady there with the issue of blood was pressing through the crowd to go touch the hem of his garment. She was healed. Massive crowd around Jesus. When he's trying to, when, when the religious leader finally gets to Jesus, then the religious leader, some of his servants come, and they've got bad news for him. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house, and they said, oh, your daughter's dead. Why bother teacher anymore? It's too late. Why bother? And we tried. God doesn't really care. He, he rescues those people, but he doesn't rescue us. I guess we're not good enough. Now, come on, I'm talking our language right now, people. Hmm? It's, just, it's just hopeless for me. Now, I love listening to all the testimonies how God changed and helped them and saved them and rescued them and healed them, and all, but it doesn't happen for us. I guess we're just out. Too bad. That's just not us. Why bother him anymore? Why bother going to church? Why bother, why bother praying anymore? Why, why bother reading your Bible anymore? Why bother trying anymore? It never works. When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. What he's saying right here in the Greek is he's saying, all you need is faith. Don't be afraid, number one command in the Bible. Don't be afraid of sin, don't be afraid of death, don't be afraid of the sickness, don't be afraid of anything in this world. Because you're living in the kingdom now. It's not about what you get and what you don't get in this world. It isn't about how things work out here and now. It's all going to work out in the end. You are headed for eternity in Christ Jesus. You're headed for heaven. All the stuff that isn't working out here, it will work out then and there. Everything wrong here is going to be made right there. See, we are too focused on here and now, and we have forgotten that we are eternal beings. We're way too stressed out, way too worried about everything that's going wrong here and now, and this is just temporary. This is just a testing ground. Man, don't be afraid. Don't, listen, listen to Jesus this morning, dear friend. Don't be afraid. Just 
Listen, that faith that God's give you, given you, just engage that. No go. That's what Pharaoh's saying. <laughs> Wait a second, which one is it? No go. This is a no go for you. No, no, you can't all go. Just, just take the able-bodied men. You can go worship your God then. Since that's what you want. Wait a second. Is that what he said he wanted? When did Moses ever say, we just want the able-bodied men to go? Never said that. Once again, twisting the word of God. So what he's going to do is he's going to hold all the women, the elderly people, and the children ransom, make sure all these men come back. Do you know why? Because he's got them in bondage. Hey, listen, some of you right now, your thought life has got you in bondage. And you know it. And you're like, you're sitting here right now, you're like, man, Dave, listen, I prayed a million times to try to get out from under these thoughts and everything, and it's just not working. I mean, now you come back in here, and you tell me I need to pray more? Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. You tell me I need to, read, need to listen to that Bible out more? Yes. That is precisely what I am saying. Well, David, I thought you said that this isn't based on works. It's based on my position in Christ. Yes. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who's working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So you join him in that work. He's wanting to work that out in you. He's wanting to work that stuff out in you. It's just an, because when it all gets worked out, when he does the work inside of you, and he changes your thought patterns, he changes your conscience, then you know it was him and it wasn't you and your good behavior. Here's an interesting thing, too, and it says, okay, so look at the text, because at first reading, we think Pharaoh drove them out. In English, it kind of reads that way. In Hebrew, it doesn't. Hebrew makes it very explicit. Pharaoh did not drive them out. Look at this. Since that's what you want to do, and they were driven from Pharaoh's presence. It doesn't say that Pharaoh drove them out. So if Pharaoh didn't drive them out, there's only one more entity that's going to drive them out, and that's God. God's the one that's saying, okay, it's time for you to separate to get away from this dude right here and right now. So, number seven, a biblically informed conscience will recognize any exposure that feeds your sinful thought patterns. That's why I've got, listen, biblically informed conscience I've got to be willing to receive what the Bible's got for me before I can recognize that this exposure that I'm exposing myself to, that it's actually feeding my sinful thoughts. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I never forget the first time I memorized Bible verses. I was about 21, 22 years old. I never forget. I was going to bed at night, and I was working on those memory verses, you know. And then I woke up during the middle of the night, and I was shocked because I was thinking about the, when I opened my eyes, those Bible verses were going through my mind. When I woke up the next morning, the first thing going through my mind is those Bible verses I'm memorizing. That's the conscious getting saturated with the word of God. It will change the way you think. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand. Why does God need Moses' help? Stretch out his hand. Why does he tell Moses stretch out his hand? He don't, need, he don't need Moses' help. That's right, he doesn't. But he allows Moses to join him in what he's doing. See, we talk about that all the time. When we're praying for us, praying, God, show me what you're doing in my life, in my family's life, in my church, in my work, whatever it may be, and give me the capacity and the desire to join you in that. He wants you to join him in what he is doing. Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, and the locusts will come up over it and every plant in the land and everything that the hell left. 
So Moses did, and he stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt. The Lord sent an east wind. And man, all that day and through the night, and by the morning, the east wind had brought in the locusts. Number verse 14, the locusts went up over the entire land of Egypt, and it settled in the whole territory of Egypt. Never before had they seen such a large number of locusts, and there never will be again. And it covered the surface right here. The interesting Hebrew word, only time this appears like this, translators trip all over because they don't want to put in what that word really is. That word is ayin right there, and in the Hebrew it's actually ay. It covered the eye of the whole land because it doesn't make sense to us. Covered the eye of the whole land so that the land was black, and they consumed all the plants on the ground and all the fruit on the trees that the hell had left. Nothing green was left on the trees or the plants in the field throughout the whole land of Egypt. Makes me think of John 10, 10, the thief comes on to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come for life that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So some of this past week, they were listening to some stuff on Exodus, and they've been listening to all of my sermons, and they're like, did you know that every time there's a plague that it went against the gods of Egypt? And I was like, uh-oh. Okay, so I, I haven't been thoroughly covering this is what that showed me. At the very beginning, I did, but I realized I didn't do it every week. So here are the gods that are coming under judgment right now, the Egyptian gods, men, the patron of the crops, Isis, the goddess of life, who, perplexed flax, who prepared the flax for clothing, Nephri, the god of grain, Anubis, the guardian of the fields, sending him, the divine protector against priests, I mean, pests. So this is you know, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> they call that a Freudian slip, don't they? So these are the guys right here that are coming under judgment on this plague. Pharaoh urgently sent for Moses and Aaron. And he said, man, I've sinned against Yahweh, your Elohim, and against you. Man, listen to him now. This is sounding good, isn't it? For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. So, we, so he's got some worldly grief going on right here. Back to our story. Please forgive me. Please? Man, I think that's the first time. That's probably the first, he probably stuttered all over that word right there, you know. That's like the first time we have heard him say, please, please forgive me my sins once more. And make an appeal to the Lord your God so that he will just... Oh. See right there, I mean, Moses, he said, and so it's just, oh. And you, you do that, you know. You're listening to it. You're listening to the narrative. You listen to what they're saying to you, and they say that one word, and you're like, oh, they don't get it. So he will just take this, man, I want to say that sinner's prayer just so I won't go to hell. And I just, God, just, just get me out of this sickness, and I will do this and this and this and serve you. So when it's not based on my love relationship with Jesus, I'm moving in the wrong direction. If I'm saying a prayer and I'm saying, God, you just get me out of this bind, I'm going to tell you something. God is much more concerned with our eternal well-being than with our temporary well-being. Sometimes he will leave us in the bind so spiritually it will build some grit and build our relationship with him and get us to the point where we realize that that spouse isn't my all in all, that those children are not my all in all. That my health and my bank account, that my job, that I mean, nothing in this world is my all in all. God will lovingly get us to that point to where I realize that the only thing that's my all is Jesus, and that's it. It's God. That is eternal. That is forever. Everybody else in this life will let you down. Only Jesus will not let you down. 
He's the only one. Moses left Pharaoh's presence and appealed to the Lord. Wow. Moses, that's pretty, that's pretty good right there. So he went to go pray for Pharaoh. Then the Lord changed the wind to a strong west wind, and it carried the locusts, and it blew them into the Red Sea. Interesting to me. None of the commentators I read said anything about this, but I thought it was very interesting that they went to the Red Sea because the Red Sea is also the place of judgment for the whole nation of Egypt. Egypt is going to roll in on them, and they're going to die there too. So just by chance, just by luck, they all blow into the Red Sea. Isn't that interesting? I'm being facetious. You don't listen to me preach. I don't believe in luck, okay? Not a single locust was left, and all, man, they must have been relieved. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. Look at this. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Good news. So you that, what do you want? That new car you want? There you go. Jesus, I want that new car in Jesus' name. Amen. You going to get it? Are y'all shaking your head? No. That, that, that big, nice new house in Jesus' name? Why are y'all shaking your head? No. I mean, we're not doing the prosperity gospel anymore? Man. Must have stepped into the right church this morning. So what does it mean when he said, in my name? That means according to his kingdom authority rule. According to his name. See, he is the king of the kingdom of God, so he's given us his word so we'll know what his will is. So according to his authority and according to his will, anything I pray according to his will and his authority, it's going to get the answer yes stamped on it. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. There it is again. And he did not let the Israelites go. Let's, let's wrap this up. In about the next 30 minutes. <laughs> guarding your thoughts begins with guarding your eyes and your ears. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Hey, what's wrong with me looking at pornography? There it is right there. There's a whole bunch of things wrong with you looking at pornography. I'm just looking. I'm not touching. I'm not doing anything. That's called justification. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, okay? There's not anything good. That is ruining your soul. Turn your, listen, Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes away from what is worthless and revive me with your word, the Bible. Number nine, the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, your thoughts hold the same value as your deeds. Jesus says over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, I just, I don't know, I'm going to read it all, I'm kind of running out of time right here. He says, you've been told, he said, that you're not to murder someone. He said, everyone who's angry with his brother or sister is subject to the judgment. If you're just angry and you're thinking, man, you're thinking that you want them to die, or that, man, you're just like working this thing through your mind, like, man, I could just end their life. It's the same thing as doing it. Jesus said, if you looked at a woman lustfully, it's just the same thing as committing adultery in your heart. Over and over again, your thought life matters. Your flesh, the world, and the devil's trying to convince you it doesn't matter what you think. I can't help what I think. Okay, listen. So I believe it was Martin Luther that said this. He said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your, on your head. So yeah, I mean, like, so those thoughts come in. I mean, that's, I got to nip that in the bud right then. Like, listen, that comes in right there. I'm not going to let it take heart, place in my conscience and my heart. I'm going to say, I bring every thought under the, under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Every thought must become captive to Jesus Christ. That's what i got to be praying out loud right then and right there and not let that thing run amok in me. Number 10. This comes from good old Richard Baxter. 17th century Puritan pastor. This is his. He said this. I'll share this with you. This is so good. 
How serious would you govern your thought life if your thoughts were written on your forehead? <laughs> you say, man, I can't help what I think. Well, you'd be helping what you think if it's just on your forehead, like a little digital screen all the time, right? Because the last time you're sitting there, you're talking to somebody, and you think, man, I'm glad they don't know what I'm thinking right now. So he's saying that right now. So you would govern it. You'd be much more serious about it if it was right there. Everybody could see it. That whole, man, I can't help what I think, just kind of flushes down the toilet on that one. So we talked earlier about how our sin nature is going to get loaded down with all kinds of junk. So how do we clear out, have a clear conscience before God and men? Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed. There's that transfer. How, do I, how, do I, how am I going to be transformed? By the renewing of your what? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Only by the word of God will I know the will. Only that's going to transform my mind. Man, listen, I'm going to keep on beating this drum. You may be sick of hearing me say this, but I want to tell you right now, I'm going to say it a million times more. Man, I'm going to, listen, whenever my depression, negativity, whatever it may be, I hit that dwell out, man. I go to that dwell out, and I turn, I don't, I don't care what I'm doing, where I am. I hit that dwell out, and I get the word of God flowing out loud into the whole area around me and on my soul, on my mind, and never Filled, it changes my thoughts and my conscience every time. See, I don't feel like reading the Bible. You don't have to read it. I can't really pay attention to that. You have to pay attention to it. Keep on doing what you're doing. Watch what it does to your soul. Watch what it does to your conscience. Hey, you got a prayer guide out there in the resource room. It's a prayer guide to guide. Listen, you, it will guide you and help you pray the word of God. Here's, here's one right there. This is straight off the prayer guide. Lord, bring life transformation into my life today through renewing of my mind. Open my spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear your perfect will in everything I experience. You may be saying this morning, saying, man, David, I can't pray for 12 to 15 minutes. The prayer guide will help you with that. How about the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is this going to change your conscience? But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's my question for you. Jesus comes, meets you outside the door today, or gets in your car. You go sit in your car, and man, there Jesus is in your car as you're getting ready to leave today. And Jesus says, I will give you all the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that you want. How much do you want? Would you be like, man, I don't really want any of that? Would you say, man, just take, I'll take as much as I, my conscience can have. Would you want that? See, that is what the offer from our Lord is. You get as much as you want. For it says, 1 Corinthians 2.16, that in Christ Jesus that we have the mind of Christ. Just please stand this morning. So this is my number one prayer right here. My number one, I pray this prayer more than any other prayer, I pray. Lord, help me today to recognize every rogue and toxic thought and take them captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that's what I'm praying. That verse, I'm praying the word of God according to the will of God, and God helps me with that. And he'll help you with that too. But see, here's the thing. If we just let ourselves get separated from God, from the word of God, from praying, from reading the Bible, from fellowshipping with other believers, and we let that separation happen, then our conscience is going to become callous, our heart's going to become hard, and we're not even going to recognize all this stuff that is just running amok in our conscience. 
and it's causing like things like bitterness to just grow in our hearts. Let's I'll be honest with you, that's my biggest struggle right there is bitterness. I mean, some people just naturally just not bitter people. You don't have any problem with bitterness. That's one of my number one struggles right there. Constantly praying this verse, constantly praying Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, do not let a root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble, defiling many. Quote that verse out loud multiple times a day. That's what I struggle with. Now, you have different struggles probably, and maybe some of y'all struggle the same things I'm struggling with. I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. I don't turn to man. I choose not to turn to man. I choose not to turn to anything of this world to soothe my conscience. I turn to God. I turn to the Word of God, and I turn to prayer because I recognize that I'm an eternal being, and everything of this world, all it's going to do is eventually make me worse. Anytime I turn to the world to make me, to soothe my conscience or make me feel better, in the long run, it's going to make me worse. God is refining you. He's sanctifying you. He's drawing you to himself. So the struggles that you're going through right now, listen, God is fully aware of what you're going through. It's not a mystery to him. He wants you to bring those struggles to him. And he wants to help you through that. And in helping you, it isn't necessarily to get you out from under the strain. The help that you need may be that you got to go all the way through it to the end. And here's what God does so many times. is He takes you to where it's all hopeless. Where they've shown up, they're like, oh, your daughter's already dead. My bother. No hope left. It's too late. That's usually where he's going to lead you to right there. Because when there's no hope left, all the world has went down the drain. Then whenever he rescues, None of us step back and go, wow, I just got really lucky on that one. We all step back and we realize it was God that did the rescuing, and we give him the glory. And when somebody else comes along, they say, man, you got lucky, didn't you? We're like, no, no, no. Had nothing to do with luck, my friend. This is God that did this. He deserves the glory in this. So are you saved today? Are you born again? Are you redeemed? Are you being transformed? If you say, yes, I am, then all of this right here applies to you. But if you're not in Christ, I can tell you right here that none of this applies to you. That's your choice. Sovereignty of God and your free will, you've chosen not to come under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. You've chosen to separate yourself away from God for eternity. That's your choice. God will let you choose that. But the good news is there's always hope and there's always time. You today can bring your life under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus. Submit yourself to him right here and right now, right in this place, right where you stand right now. I won't make you raise your hand. I won't make you come down in front of the church or anything like that. You can do it right here and right now. That's between you and God. Many people have done that right here just like this. So I just bring my life under your kingdom authority rule of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I need to be rescued. Maybe today you're here and you're like, man, David, you know, I've I don't know if I'm really saved because I, I, I got baptized, joined a church and all that back then, but nothing really changed. Hey, listen, why don't you bring your life under his kingdom authority rule right here and right now? Why don't, you, why don't you just submit yourself to him right here and right now? God, everything is yours. My whole life, can you pray that? My whole family, all of my health, my job, my finances. What is it, what is it that, that's wrecking out on you right now? 
Won't you bring that under his kingdom authority rule and say, God, I just bring this under your kingdom authority rule right now. I can't fix this. I need your help. So God, right now, just pray that you help me with my root of bitterness. If you're struggling with bitterness, can you pray that right now? Help me take every thought captive to the, re- the obedience of Christ concerning, and just fill that name in right there. Let's pray, Holy Spirit, that you just pull out the root of bitterness in my heart. Just set me free from that bondage, dear Jesus. set me free. What are your struggles in your thought life? Do you struggle with lustful thoughts? Do you struggle with greed? Self-condemnation? Won't you just bring that to Jesus right now? Say, Jesus, I've tried and I've tried and I've asked for forgiveness a million times. I bring it to you once again. I surrender my life. Bring this under your kingdom authority rule. Just forgive me. Change me. Transform. Bring transformation. So we're about to take communion. So if everything is right between you and God, if you're a Christian, you're saved, all those things, the communion's for you. If you're not saved, communion's not for you. It's us communing with the Lord. It's not a religious practice we go through. It's something very personal, something very real when we commune with him. So you gotta make sure everything's right between you and Jesus and everything's right between you and everybody else. If you're holding, if you're hanging on to bitterness, unforgiveness, and you're letting those things grow and you're fertilizing those, don't take communion. But if everything's right between you and God and everybody else, then communion is for you. So we have communion up here at the front and at the back in front of the, the, the um, sound booth. So if you want to send somebody from your family, tell them to get the elements. And when you get them or when someone leaves for your family, you can have a seat. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's go ahead and open up, take the bread out. Most important thing we'll eat today. This represents the body of Christ. or something, so like... Um, 
there's something very wonderful and mysterious that happens when we do this. You know, we, I'll say it every week. I'll say it again. This is us coming to the table of Jesus, sitting down at his table, and thanking him for what he has done for us. So it's like when you're communing with him, and then we're communing with each other in here, and then we're also communing with everybody else around the world that's doing this today also. We're communing with those that are in heaven. I mean, we're just all, this is something we all do together. That's why it's called communion. Okay, common union together as we do this. So we're not just communing with the Lord, but one another. And that's why we pray out loud together. So if you don't feel comfortable with that, listen, don't worry about it. That's okay. This is something between you and the Lord. You don't want to. That's fine. But if you feel comfortable, you can pray out loud with us right now. You just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body. Thank you for the new covenant. You're my God. You're my king. You're my Lord, and you're my Savior. Let's eat in faith. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Got a great question this past week through email. Someone sent me an email and they said, David, why does it say that we proclaim the Lord's death? Shouldn't it say that we proclaim the Lord's resurrection or something like that? Okay, so reading the Bible here, this is, the Bible says the Lord's death for a reason. These are representative of the death of Jesus, the body and the blood. This is representative of that. Now, is, is a resurrection important? Should we focus on that? Absolutely, yes. But in doing this, we're focusing in on what he did for us in his death, laying down his body and shedding his blood. And that's why it says that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's go ahead and open up. If you haven't done that yet, let's go ahead and open up to the juice. This represents the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. This is the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that covers all of your sins. All of your sins, past, present, and future. All, you will not be judged for your sins. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for those of you in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So this is what we're doing. We're at his table right now, and it's as if you're looking across the table, and you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. So you'll pray with me, dear Jesus. Thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for shedding your blood. You're my God, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Let's drink in faith. All right, if you will, let's please stand. God, today we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that this week that you just stir within every single one of us a desire to dig deeper into your word, to pray more. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just be revealing to us our, the sinful thought patterns that are just wreaking havoc on our conscience and that you'll just lead us to freedom, forgiveness. God, that you just put a desire in our heart just to saturate our conscience with your word. 
God, here in just a moment as we gather around the tables in here for fellowship, we pray that your blessings will be over this time, that your blessings will be over all the food, that everything that's going to happen in this fellowship that will come under your kingdom authority rule. So I just pray the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So before you go, I want to give you a challenge, okay? This coming week, between now and next Sunday, take in as much Bible as you can, more than you ever have in your whole life. It's a challenge for you. I'm challenging you. If you'd like to be challenged, there's your challenge. Get that dwell out. If you don't have it, we've paid for it for you. Get it. Let the guys up in the sound booth, they know how to download. They'll download it for you. Just give them your phone, they'll download it for you. Take in as much as you can this coming week. See what it does to your conscious thoughts. Start memorizing some Bible verses. Dig deeper than you've ever done before this week, okay? That's my challenge for you. Now, before you leave, I just want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to take the chairs around you and let's put them on the outside walls. And men, if you would...